Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be taking a look back at all the Premiership action, including a hell of a game between Quinns and Bristol. Then we'll be having a chat all about the United Rugby Championship with the league's main man and CEO, Martin and I. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. How's your weekend been, guys? Did you watch the Fury fight on the weekend? And Wilder. If you're American, to our American listeners. Actually, they like Fury more than they like Wilder. Uh, in answer to your question, Andy Rowe, well, you know I did. You know I love my boxing. Uh, probably could have been a top heavyweight boxer. Like you could have been a top English second row as well if you had been half decent, but you had to play for Scotland, right? Well, I had to be English, didn't I? And I found out that I wasn't Andrew. But yes, did watch the boxing. Uh, loved it. Thank you, Andy Rowe. I know we are a rugby podcast, but... As you know, and as Tyson Fury fights every single time, I put the one picture that I had with Tyson Fury um, and myself up on social media. So that's my association to him. But I absolutely loved it. Who the hell would be a boxer? Now, without bringing the tone down, and we know there's a big debate around concussions in NFL, in football, and obviously in our sport, rugby. And I'm looking at that, and it's like... Goodness me, unbelievable. But anyway, the grotesque reality is that most people like boxing and I'm one of them and watching two of the best to go at it was phenomenal. And Goody, you, I saw a tweet pop up at like two in the morning from yeah. you saying you're about to watch my YouTube clips. <laughs> I've woke up at three or four. Excited. My phone's, light, my phone's lighting up. I'm thinking, what's going on? So that's what I did. <laughs> Before the fight, I was on my YouTube clips looking at them. <laughs> yeah, so um, well, we'll come back to you in a minute, Jim, because I've got a couple of questions for you around your weekend. But yeah, Saturday night, um, me and the missus, we went out to watch Jason Manford um, at the London Palladium, which was good. He's fucking hilarious. And I tweeted that I was there and he, he tweeted back saying thank you. So my weekend was made by Jason Manford tweeting me back. Um, and then we went for Before, dinner. Before, hang on, hang on, forget the dinner. Talk to me about him as a comedian because I've got this thing and it's probably more after my event in Glasgow where I saw myself as a bit of a stand-up comedian genius apprentice I've got this feeling that comedy's dying Andrew I don't know why I don't know why because I'm not too sure what you can and can't say now who knows and let's not get onto that with your tweets on Friday night but maybe we can get into that but What's he like as a comedian? Can you hit me with a joke? Make me laugh. The one I found quite funny was when he was going on about Chris Whitty and all, you know, they come out and they say, right, from a week on Friday, uh, you, you've got to start wearing your masks. It's compulsory to wear your masks, right? So he's like, I compare that to parenting. 
we're talking about COVID and, you know, we know it's a disease that kills. He says, like parenting, sometimes like the kids will be playing the road and you don't give them three days notice to stop playing the road. Do you? you don't say, oh, you can, you can play in the road till <laughs> a week on Friday. So how is it with COVID that they were giving us these 10 days or whatever till you got to change your plans and do stuff? So he, he was funny. Like he's honestly, I, I, we've spoken about it on here before. Northerners, he's from Manchester. Um, he's from, you know, he had a, a relatively tough upbringing um, and he's made a huge success of himself. And I don't know what it is about people from the North. They make me laugh. Manchester, comedians tea bags the, the, tea, tea bagging tea, yeah the whole thing so yeah, that was hilarious Saturday night and then my face was actually genuinely hurting he was a laugh a minute um, and then we went out for how, dinner how how would the amount of chewing that you've done in your life would your face be hurting <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of muscles really? around are they muscles or yeah I think they're jowls or muscles anyway it was hurting because he was funny and then we've gone out for dinner afterwards um, at a place called Lucky Cat and there was no cat food, Andy Rowe. Just to oh. let you know, it was. Uh, well, what, why would it be called Lucky Cat then? I mean, well, what, what, it's Gordon, what's the it's, cat got to do with it? Well, it's Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in um, in Mayfair, and it's a Chinese restaurant. I'm trying to work out: is it called L- Lucky Cat because there's cat food, or there's cats being eaten? No, I, th- I think it's probably. I, th- I don't want to stereotype, but with the quarter Chinese in me, it is probably the latter. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I generally hope it wasn't cats that I was eating because. One, that would be illegal. But two, the price I paid for it, it fucking better not be cats. That's all I'm saying. But it was delicious. Um, and what time have you eaten at? What time are you eating these cats at? So the table's at 10 o'clock. We went to watch Jason Manford uh, half seven at the London Palladium. We were out there by 10 to 10 and we were back in Mayfair at about five past 10. Eating uh, cats in Mayfair. How, I mean... Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was sat behind me having a laugh. Look at you, look at you. And you know. look, look, not that it's enough about you, but the contrast. I went for another Topic Havre <laughs> on Sunday. You're in, May, you're in Mayfair with yeah. Jimmy Hasselbank Collins. He was Leeds, weren't he? Uh, Jimmy Floyd played for who did he, Chelsea. Yeah, he was Leeds. He was Leeds yeah. as well, I think. Let's just say he was because it would be football. And I'm in the Topic Havre on Sunday. What a contrast, yeah. Andrew, our lives. We always say it. We always say it. It's just it's just a bit of planning, Jim. So I've got back. Me and the missus had a good night, a couple of bottles of wine, uh, a few G&Ts on top of that. And I'm thinking, I'm in bed, and I'm thinking, I'm... I'm Another baby. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I had one in my own stomach, I think, at that point. But yeah, um, I'm thinking, I'm going to watch the boxing. I'm going to stay up and watch the boxing. And it, I'm, we're in bed for about two o'clock. And she's gone in... I flicked the telly on. She's like, if you're watching that, I'm going to the other room. So she's gone in the other room. And I'm thinking, happy days. I'll start YouTubing videos of Jim to get me in the mood, getting filled in or filling people in. And then by three o'clock, my eyes are literally as heavy as you like, starting to feel a bit rough. I'm like, do you know what? I'll pay for it when I wake up. So I woke up at seven o'clock, watched it. The mother-in-law was here. She was looking after the kids and what a fight it was, James. So I did tweet you at about quarter to two or whatever time it was. And uh, not long after that, I decided, nah, I'm going to watch it at seven o'clock in the morning when... I've had a few hours sleep. So uh, Sunday, up at the Mighty Wasps, the Andy Good suite at the Rico Arena, was hard work. Uh, feeling a bit rough. And there was a lot of blokes floating around on Sunday, absolutely shattered. Um, and I'll go back to you now, James, because you've obviously got yourself up for the fight, haven't you, to watch it. Do you want to explain to the masses what happened on Friday night in your house? What happened on Friday? Well, you, you phoned me Saturday. We were having a good chat. You're like, the fucking kids are real. I said, oh, did you get up with them? You're like, no, the missus did it. I was working, I was working all day Saturday. I said, but I bet you get up in the middle of the night for the boxing tonight, don't you? He goes, fucking too right. 
<laughs> I would not have got up for the boxing. I'd done my back in sneezing. Can you believe it? What? You what? I know. I sneezed and my back went again. Not as bad this time, though, but to the point where I couldn't get up with the kids back. back. <laughs> I, I can't get up with the kids. But the boxing was on. The back was hurting. I couldn't sleep. So I got up and, yeah, you know what Beck's like. She, she's great like that, isn't she? Yeah. So, she's a yeah. hero. She's a real hero. But look, I took her to Toby Carver out on Sunday and it was a real treat for her because we <laughs> did have an apple crumble. It might not have been apple. It might have been apples out of a tin, which is still <laughs> apple, I think, and custard. So, yeah, that's that was it. But I did the big game at the weekend and we may, maybe talk a little bit about the URC. It's a big URC podcast today. Uh, well, there'll be a slight bit of it, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't get up on Friday. I'm working Saturday. The big one, hashtag always Edinburgh versus Stormers, but I had to do the Glasgow versus the Emirate Lions as well. So I had to be, I had to be at my very best, lads. Yeah. So you told the missus, you get up and deal with the kids because you're going to work on Saturday and then you get home on Saturday after the game and then you're fine to get up to watch the boxing at four in the morning. I like your priorities, well, I, I, I weren't fine. I weren't fine, but I just did. I just felt like I had to. I'm mates for Tyson, didn't I? If you were fighting, I'd get up and watch you. you there you mean? go. There you go. And what I did see on Saturday, Jim, You've gone from one extreme to the other. Black tie, I went. Well, you've gone... <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, you've gone with the shocking pal stuff, pink, red, suede, corduroy, blazer, jacket, whatever it was. This week, you've gone dressed like an undertaker. The old long black coat. Well, I mean, which one are you, James? I thought Flamboyant. Bobby Skinstad was going to turn up, so I wanted to go black tie for him, just because he's that suave and that handsome that I wanted to do my best for him, but he didn't come. It was yeah. Tina Stelport in the end. Not that he was underdressed, but he, he weren't looking like Bobby Skinstad. But yeah, I'm just mixing it up. I need to know what sticks, but I know that Bell staff were well happy. They were happy with the interaction, good or bad press, Andrew, as you know. Yeah. It brings up the followers. It brings up the interaction. So the red coat will be out again soon. Hey, when we go down to Cardiff in November. Wednesday, 3rd of November. We're back there. It's exactly two years after we were last on the streets of Cardiff. We've got a live show, and it's going to be at the depot. It's in the lead-up to uh, the Wales versus South Africa game. So I hope you don't still think comedy's dead, Jim. I think that might be just a hangover from a couple of weeks ago when you crash and burn, because we're going we're gonna to need you on your, on your best game, bringing your A game to the streets of Cardiff on the 3rd of November, Jim. Well, I will do. I should say, last time we were in Cardiff, we brought Andy Powell. Now, a lot's changed oh, wow. in the last two years. <laughs> and we might put him to the wolves and see. He can test the water. I'm not too sure if Andy Powell's coming. He's not been confirmed. Um, I don't know if anyone knows Welsh folklore, but there's a golf buggy story out there that hasn't never been told. But we'll wheel him out and we'll see how that goes <laughs> down, maybe, and uh, test the waters to where we can go. Well, tickets are available on Eventbrite. Uh, just go on there and search for the Rugby Pod. It's just 20 quid, and you'll get a free pint of cause with that as well. Just before we get into the Premiership uh, action, agents versus clubs, for our, how bad is it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty big, to be honest. And there's two sides to every story, right? So the, what the clubs have come out and done, and there's a whole play around HMRC and what they've done in football around agents' fees and, and where the liability lies and all this stuff. Now, as it stands, for the last... God knows how many years. Effectively, 20-odd years, clubs have paid the agent's fees on behalf of the players. So when they're negotiating, the, the agent works with the club and with the player, um, and the agent's fee gets paid by the club to the agent. Um, and that's part of the whole package, right? So over the last few years, what's happened is players have now had 50% of the agent's fee put on their P11D as a uh, benefit in kind, so it's taxable. Um, so you've got 50% of your agent's fee on there that you have to pay tax on as 
P11D when you're doing your tax return, as everyone does for various benefiting kinds that you have, whether that be private medical care and all those things. Now, what the clubs have done is they've looked at it and some of them have been more vociferous about this than others. They've gone, agents fees cost us collectively six million quid a year. And so with what's happened in the pandemic, with you know the fact that there's no bums on seats, their revenues are down, clubs are looking to cut costs where they can. And what what the clubs are saying is we are not paying the agents fees anymore. The players, you're going to have to pay them because of this issue around HMRC uh, and what they've done in football around it, which the agents have pushed back and gone, that's actually no relevance at all because there's no transfer market in rugby because effectively everyone is a Bosman or you're out of contract and you, you move. Very rarely is there a transfer fee, like once in a blue moon. So there's no transfer market per se in rugby. So what the agents are saying is that's irrelevant. And actually what the agents are saying to the clubs is you're just trying to get out of paying it because it's six million quid that you don't want on your uh, costs and, and everything like that as a business. So there's a big row between the agents and the, and, and, and the clubs now whereby the agents have shut down. They're not negotiating with clubs at the minute for players that they represent. Um, and effectively, some of the clubs and PRL are, are trying to shoehorn this in to basically say that the players take control and pay everything to their agent, which becomes a massive cost then to the player, more so than, than, than the club. And what a lot of the clubs are doing, and I go back, Jim, and I hate to bring it back up, it goes back to Saracens many, many years ago, where Ed Griffiths was doing the contracts at Saracens, he'd get a player in and go, I don't want you to deal with your agent anymore. We'll offer you more money if you don't go with your agent um, than we're going to offer you to an agent. So that puts the player then in a position where he goes, oh shit, you know, what do I say to my agent? Obviously a player wants as much money as he can earn. Um, and if he's going to be offered more to not go with an agent than he is to go with an agent. And that's how Saracens initially started getting things around the salary cap, which is where we got to a couple of years ago with the massive issue around uh, Saracen spending and all, all stuff like that because they, they wanted to keep it in-house. Now, ironically, Ed Griffiths is now a rugby agent um, and the shoe's on the other foot with him because at the minute, clubs aren't paying or are saying they're going to refuse to pay uh, agent fees. And the agents, um, you know, they, they've got a body where it's called the Association of Rugby Agents that, um, you know, they all have to be licensed. So basically what, initially what it was where they all have to be licensed and go through exams and all this stuff for, from the RFU. So there's no kind of, like wild west with agents just undercutting each other and you know it's a reg it's meant to be a, a kind of regulated um union now um and i know there's a lot of infighting between the agents as well because the chairman who hasn't been mandated to uh, act on behalf of all the agents is a, is a bloke called mark spores now from my experience mark spores is as useful as a chocolate teapot um, you know, <laughs> he was my agent. I know, and he's a you know, what, uh, I, as as a bloke. So, 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 so what sport was he doing now? Let's just get this right. He promised me a pair of Adidas boots, and they didn't come through. They gave them to Alan Wynne Jones, which I weren't happy about, and that's how we had a fallout. And I changed agent who promised me a pair of night boots, but they never came to fruition. Either, so I moved agent. So <laughs> yeah. what sports have you got to do with this then? Well, well sports is the chairman. Uh, I think he's probably self-voted for, for to be chairman of the Association of Rugby Agents. Now, uh, he's trying to speak to the clubs and he's just going in there bullish going, well, you know, none of, you, none of the players will sign any contracts with you then. The clubs are going back and going, well, you know, we ain't paying it, so deal with it, so come up with a resolution. What they need to do is sit around a table and find some middle ground because... Oh, um, in rugby, sitting around a table, that just happens all the time, yeah, does it? Does, and it does doesn't it not But again, the problem with it is it's the players who are the pawns here 
who are the ones that are going to be affected most. Now, you know, I know PRL put some numbers out around what it looks like for, from a player's perspective and they're not going to be impacted financially, but they are because the uh, RPA, David Hopley, has put a statement out and he shows actually the true workings out of the difference between you know, paying your agent yourself individually or the club's paying it and you know, the whole issue around it. It's just become messy. So again, you know, we can't get through many months in rugby union without there being some drama somewhere off the field. Um, and it, you know, sometimes you worry that that takes away from the product on the field. Well, it certainly doesn't in the Premiership this weekend because the games are unbelievable. But you know, there's uh, the clubs and the the agents are so far apart at the minute that I can't see how there can be a quick resolution. And ultimately, all the players that are out of contract, they're not speaking to the clubs at the minute, and then the the guys that are potentially missing out on contracts. And then you take that to the wider picture in the Premiership. You're going to get no world stars once it comes to the premiership because you've got to pay your own agents' fees because those world stars could go to France or Japan where the clubs will happily pay the agents' fees. And off the back of it, those guys are going to earn more money. So, you know, it, it's it's a very dangerous position that the clubs and the agents are putting the players in. Uh, and ultimately, it's the players that are being affected the most by, by the current situation. But you hope that common sense prevails. First thing to do, common sense prevails. Get rid of Mark Spores as your chairman because... A lot of the agents don't agree with him anyway. And I know a lot of the agents are infighting around what he's saying. So it's a battle that yeah, they're infighting with themselves. The clubs aren't actually all agreeing with the, the hard stance that they're taking. And the players are in the middle. So hopefully they can find some common ground and then they can start negotiating deals again. And they find a way that the players pay some, but the clubs pay some as well. Just quickly, what sort of money are we talking about? the players having to pay individually? Like what sort of a percentage is it? Yeah, 7% is about average, but it ranges from 5% to 10%, uh, sometimes slightly bigger, 12 depending on, um, you know, if it's a renegotiation, I think it's at 5% or something, or, you know, it's, but it averages out around 7%, 7.5% of, of the players' contracts. So, you know, the, the boys at the minute, the way the clubs are, are going about the business, the, it's going to affect the players and the players are going to have to pay it. You didn't give your opinion though, Andrew. You didn't give your opinion. So do you think, and I've got an opinion on this, having been a player and knowing agents and still having an agent, uh, have you got an opinion? Do you think they need, I, I mean, I'll to give you my opinion. I think players need agents. Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. And that's part of professional sport. Um, it's a part of being a top level athlete. What are the sport? And this, this is what pisses me off about rugby. Like, I understand the situation that it's in. I understand COVID. I understand costs and I understand no fans in stadiums I get all that what are the sport do you not have top level athletes not having agents yeah. team sports yeah like I come on man no I know, know what I mean yeah so it's kind of like because bully is probably the wrong word but you can be backed into a corner being a young lad say that is let's say he's on 50 grand and he's yeah. worth 100 120 grand just use them numbers as an example and your agent's going in there and he's going around looking at the different opportunities at different clubs. And he, you know, say he goes to a Worcester and Worcester's like, mate, we'll pay him 200 grand. And you're like, well, I don't really want to go to Worcester. I'd rather stay and get what I'm worth at this club here. I'd rather get yeah. 120 grand at Wasps. And the head coach comes into you, not Lee Blackett, but like a Dino or someone who's intimidating like that or an intimidating coach comes in, a Vern Cotter and says, look, mate, like we're only going to give you 80 grand, take it or leave it. But yeah. I'd be very care. I'd be very, very careful if you leave because, you know, your development. I'll sign it. I'll sign it. And the yeah. next thing, you, you've done yourself out of forty, fifty grand, or you've done yourself out of more. Yeah. So this is the thing. It's not necessarily about. I can understand actually if you're a top level player. So 
if you're a Maru Atoji, let's just use him as, as, as an example, and you're a million pound player, you're a Pieta or a semi drive runner, you could ultimately hire an agent as a consultant and say, look, mate, I'm about to do this deal. Go and test the market. Go and have a look at what's out there. Okay, you've got a million pound here. You've got 900 grand here. You've got 1.2 million here. And you could do a separate deal with that agent and broker a fee between him to advise you, do your lawyer's fees, blah, 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 blah. But it isn't them players we're talking about. It's the masses. It's the majority of the squad players where you're talking 10, 20 grand is a significant amount of money. And then having to employ an accountant on top of that as well to deal with how you end up paying an agent. So my point being... Players need agents, and the yeah. clubs need to pay them. Hundred uh, percent, the players need agents. You know, I, 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 you alluded to it earlier, Jim, around my situation. So very early on, on in my career, and actually it coincided with when I was leaving Saracens. I had an agent at the time who was trying to push me to go and play for Rotherham because it suited. I, hang on, for for Rotherham exactly, and he was oh like, mate, he's like, mate, go to Rotherham. Um, you know, just go to there to the end of the season, play well, you know, and then we'll get you a deal somewhere else. It transpired that this agent owed Rotherham a bit of a favour. He was mates with the uh, head coach at the time. Um, and I'm like, mate, I ain't going to Rotherham for love nor money. Nothing against Rotherham, but they'd played... Sheffield's a great night out. Man. <laughs> they played, I think they played eight, lost eight. They were definitely going Dune. Um, and I said to him, I said, I ain't playing. I ain't, you know, there's no, no interest there. The flip side of that, Dino had phoned me directly and he said, Goody, I want you to come back to Leicester. I'm like, Dino, mate, I'll, I'll drive up there now and sign the contract. So I phoned my agent on the way up to Leicester and I'm like, oh, um, have you spoke to anyone else? Have you spoke to, you know, you spoke to Leicester? I heard they might be keen. He's like, yeah, no, I spoke to them. They're not keen on you at all. And at that point I said, listen, and I won't name him. I basically told it, I said, fuck you, you're a liar. Um, don't ever talk to me ever again. And I did my own deal then with Leicester, of which point I uh, needed a lawyer who turned out to be Duncan Sandland, who was then my agent for 15 years. And, it, you know, rugby is a, a kind of very strange place, isn't it, Jim, um, in reality? And, you know, when you're negotiating contracts, you need someone who you can trust implicitly. And you need someone as a player. You can't trust many people in the world of rugby implicitly, can you? There's very few people you can. I've seen players shafted left, right and centre. I've seen boys shaft boys and all this stuff. Now... The one person in my whole career that I knew had my back and was doing the best for me completely was Duncan Sandlin at Esportif. Unbelievable agent. Um, didn't give a fuck about annoying clubs uh, when it was coming to contract negotiations. All he was ever doing was getting me the very best deal that suited me at the club and putting me in the position where I needed to be for whatever part of my career I was at. So uh, he had my best interests at heart all the way through. Um, and I know a lot of the agents don't do that. So it, players need agents, but they need to get with decent agents as well that aren't, you know, just they're not having the, the player's best interests at heart. Well, the off-field stuff doesn't appear to be having an effect of what's going on on the field. Did you guys catch the Quinns-Bristol game on Friday night? Of course you did. Nah, nah, I didn't see it. What are you on about, Jim? Oh, my game. It was phenomenal. 21 nil up, Bristol's were, and they were on fire in that first sort of 25 minutes. And Quinns were a little bit shell-shocked, I think. And then I'm just like, Marcus it Smith. It doesn't matter. Mate, doesn't Marcus matter. Smith, make him England captain, bring him on, make him England captain. <laughs> How good they, they try? I mean, they score 50-odd points from when he comes on. Oh, I do. I feel sorry for uh, Tommaso Allen. Tommy Allen, yeah. I mean, Tommy Allen, poor bloke. He's gone off. They're 21-0 down. Marcus Smith comes on. You ain't ever playing again, Tommy, unless Marcus Smith's away with England because he was ridiculous, wasn't he? His yeah. touches, ball in hand, going to the line, feeding people, Confident, just kicking game. Andrew. Yeah, 
Mate, absolutely ridiculous. So if he ain't starting for England as first choice 10 in the autumn, Eddie Jones, take a walk straight back to Japan or Australia because he was world-class. Out and out world-class, wasn't he? He was class. Yeah, I mean, did I have Quinns in my top four or not? Not that it matters. It's no, Jim, you didn't. Did I not put Jim. them in? No, you didn't. I had Jim. this chat with Ravo's arm today and I said, I'm sure, I piggybacked the hysteria around Quinns. I was like, I'm sure I picked... Quinn's in my top four. He said, no, nah, I don't think you did. I said, oh, <laughs> why not? I didn't. But yeah, I mean, Bristol, again, we love Bristol, but there's there's a problem there somewhere, isn't there? Because to go 21-0 up or whatever it was, and then to lose that game again off the back of the semi-final from last year, it, it's almost as if they've been found out. Play, 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 play. And there's not much else to their game, which there is, obviously, so is it back to the drawing board for a team like Bristol's? It's it's hard because we are still early in the season. We spoke, you know, we spoke about and we speak about momentum's everything. But this weekend was all about Quinns. So we can talk about Bristol's another time, see how they get on this weekend. But fair play. You know what I mean? You look at the backbone of that team now, English as well. Young English players, Lewis Liner. He, he might not be English. If he gets capped, he will be, but he he's, could be Australian he's, or He's Italian. English. He's English. Yeah, even do, you, though, do you think he'll get capped? Yeah, I think he will. I mean, he's made the decision at the minute that he wants to play for England because he accepted, he went into the England training squad and all this stuff. Um, I did see last week that uh, the Australians have said, oh, we're still going to ask him if he wants to have a conversation around coming back to Australia. Um, but the kids well, his brother's gone, hasn't he? His yeah. Bro- well, his, his brother's gone. And he, but Lewis did say that he, he's happy to play for any. So yeah. he's left the door open. His dad, smart man, lovely man, legend of he a man, is. Michael. He's yeah. obviously said to him, mate, you need to keep the doors open. It's a professional sport. But yeah, I actually wouldn't have had Lewis Liner in my top four. Not that, again, that it's about bloody what I think or w- w- whatever I say. But actually, the more and more that I watch him, you're thinking, mate, this, this kid could be the starting wing for England for yeah. a long, long time. Yeah, I was just, the only thing I was disappointed in Quinns was they took him off. He scored two, and they took Rested him off. Him. Made the, well, the, the uh, maybe, yeah. The I was like, leave him on, let him get in the hat trick, because um, he no doubt he'd have scored it. But they, they were phenomenal, you know. Tyron Green at fullback as well. Um, you know, very small player, very slight, punches way above his weight. So hard to bring down in the tackle. They just, they're just playing with excitement, with like vigor, and Don Brandt looks like a proper athlete as well now. But people said before about you know he had a uni body, or whatever. He stripped down again, and he looks the real, completely the real deal. See, he's offload for one of the tries. Mm. Yeah, they're playing with a ridiculous amount of confidence, mate. When you tie a prop who ain't scored in 134 Premiership games, <laughs> throws a dummy, for, and then sprints in from about 25 meters. When I'm saying, where's anyone in Bristol trying to tackle him? Because they're absolutely. That's the worry. I'll be honest with Bristol; they're absolutely fucked, like Fuck. fitness-wise. This is coming from me, Andy Fitness here. Um, they didn't play any preseason games. They looked. They flew out the blocks and then they just like they shot their bolt. So I, there was one bit about Bristol, and it's credit to Quinns. They must have played twelve phases, chucking it from side to side to side, thinking they're eventually just going to break Quinns down. They got about two meters, then they lose the ball, then errors come in, then they got smashed at the breakdown. Then Quinns just turned the ball over and and you know they're playing with energy because they're letting Bristol do a lot of hard donkey work, chucking the ball around with no real umph going forwards. And then they make the error and Quinns will capitalise on it. So it was phenomenal from Quinns. Um, from 21-0 down, Bristol have got a lot of work to do. I mean, I tweeted on Friday night, best thing I can do is lock the doors on Monday morning and just drink together 
but that's not going to help the fitness either, is it? So what do I know? Because their fitness, <laughs> their fitness was shocking. Wasn't a bad game at Gloucester either. Sale almost pinched it. Did you see that game? My goodness, mate. Yes, I did. Could you imagine if you are Gloucester and you lost that? And that driving mall is going over and you're thinking, here we go. Here we go. It could have been. Had they not scored it, it would 100% been a penalty try. Um, you saw, I think it was Ben Morgan came in at the side, but they because they scored it, the ref gave it. Now, two things. Again, gonna... this, here we go. Sorry, this is the sighting watch because I didn't even think about that. And <laughs> yeah. That's not even on my radar when yeah, I'm watching but, that. But but it, it, it over to the sighting commission. Well, it didn't need to be a penalty try um, because they scored it. So it's fine. And two things I'll say. Sale scored a try with 30 seconds to go. Uh, and they're just trying to rush the conversion, uh, rightly so. Unfortunately, it was a drop kick, didn't go over. Then they get the the, the 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 try at the end when they're into sort of overtime. And the two things I say, the lad that took the conversion, Tom Curtis, who is, for people listening, he is the stepson of big friend of the show, big friend of mine, Dean Schofield. You know, he's a youngster. It was a really tough kick. The one thing I will say, Gloucester fans, credit to you. And I don't often say this. Absolute credit to you because it was a kick to win the game, a youngster kicking it, and you expect booing and all this stuff. They didn't do it at all. So I was really impressed with Gloucester fans. So tip the slipper to you boys. There was a massive cheer, right, when it missed. Of course there would be because that means that Gloucester won the game. But I've kicked in front of the shed and you get heckled, you get abused, you get the eat all, you get all sorts of stuff. And fair play to them. They didn't make any noise when Tom Curtis was taking the kick. But the other thing I need to say, I can't remember who was doing the commentary for it. I watched it. He kept calling him Curtis Langdon. I'm like, Curtis Langdon's a hooker, mate. And you're talking about a fly-off kicking goal. So um, he's got a big future, Tom Curtis, as well. He's a lovely lad. Uh, actually used to do a bit of kicking coaching with him when he, Dino and I played at Worcester together. He was about 12 years old. And that's probably why I missed the kick at the weekend. So sorry, Sale fans. I, I do apologise. But yeah, Gloucester were good. Um, Hastings again. was Brilliant. Atkinson threw a lovely seed. Lewis Reese. What am I on about? Gloucester going to finish bottom of the league. I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> I was going to call you out on that. That's two from two now. Comfortable yeah. one against Worcester. They look good against Sale. Sale, obviously, a few changes, but when you've got Lewis Reesam at the old chip, and who's picking that up? Not me, tell the back that, but obviously, as a youngster, he's in. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Gloucester were good. Really impressed with them, um, although they did nearly throw it away. So, Saracens, they went behind early against Newcastle, but managed to fight their way back in, Jim. I thought Newcastle looked very good, to be fair. Yeah, Saracens, a few mistakes, a few kind of missed tackles which you wouldn't normally associate but Newcastle look good like yeah. you've got to give credit to them the way that they they play their backs you know that the, they're physical up front and Saracens are still warming into it is that is that the right yeah kind of word to use like Saracens are at home back at the Stonex Stadium and you look at the profile of the team and it is world class Mako Jamie Billy Billy obviously Faz just to name a few, Sean Maitland on the yeah. wing. Max Malin's playing unbelievably well. Sean ben Maitland was lucky seven. not to get a red. Yeah, I would say. Nah, yeah. I, I think that's nah, it. Yeah, right. yellow, yeah, yellow was the right call there as the sighting officer. Uh, I was pretty. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel yellow was the right call. Uh, there was yeah, enough, yellow definitely there was enough was mitigation. The right call. There was, yeah. But I mean, Jamie George obviously got. Player of the match, Andrew. Player of the he match. Got, it's no he, longer... He got, man, no. Mate, he got man of the match. I'm, I'm, I'm going based on commentary. I'm going based on commentary. Rugby player, how, he got player of the match. But here's the thing, Jim. How awkward is it? You're, you're trying to remember not to say man of the match. You're like, oh, I've got to say player because we've got to appease people. No, man of the match. 
Jamie George got man of the match at the weekend. Um, and you could see he had the bit between his teeth. He yeah. was obviously, uh, it means a lot to him. And you tweeted, I think, Goody, that, that that's him back in, in the autumn test squad. I hope so. Yeah. He deserves it. Like, you know, I, I saw the stat come up on TV that he's played two games or something um, this season. Is that right? Or he started two games this season or something ridiculous. Basically, he's not played a lot of rugby. Uh, yeah, but he was good. Uh, Swino butchered a try that I would have scored. No, Swino, and... Swino, the reason Saracens won, they went back to type, right? They went back to their power game. They went back to drive until the cow sheds and back. And it was all about Swino, mate. I thought he was the leader. But thank God they got a decent Scottish second row there now. Well, it wasn't really a thriller, but Wasps ended Saints and Beden start the season, didn't they, Goody? Yeah, they did. Um, interesting game, actually, because the first half was... As you'd expect, two teams that like to chuck it around. They've got errors in them, but they try and play this high octane uh, game where you know it's ball out, tackle, offloading. You know, a couple of tries in the first half were class, one from each team. Um, Augustus, the number eight, picked out a lovely line. Then the offload to Matavesi to waddle his way over was pretty good for for Saints in the first half. Dan Robson breaking up the outside after uh, Ogre's lovely little dummy and go through was class as well and it was a really exciting first half Wasps were hanging on in there they should have been a lot further down I thought um, at half time but then second half was it was a bit turgid in the second half it went back to set piece you know the Wasps they controlled the game nicely Saints lost their discipline completely gave a load of pens away and and what Wasps did this week and I spoke to Lee Blackett before the game um, they lost their heads at Newcastle and you know I mentioned it last week in the bad how they um, they threw the game away with 30 seconds to go when they were in Newcastle's 22. This week, they their game management was spot on, I thought, in the second half. Kicked their goals. Uh, I know Jacob Umunga missed a couple. Jimmy Gopeth comes on at 46 years of age and his slot and kicks were fun. Um, so, yeah, they were good, Wasps. Um, you know, Saints, and we had, we had Courtney on here last week, didn't we? They were three from three last week, but Courtney was open and honest and said we weren't playing that well. Um, but they played really well in the first half, Saints, and then their discipline went to pieces in the second half and, and was capitalised. Did you see Chris Boy's interview after he was raging, weren't he? Raging. <laughs> raging. And fair play. And fair play. He opened up the players, didn't he? He said yeah. that the guys who came off the bench um, were obviously annoyed that they weren't playing and they were the... <laughs> they were the, <laughs> the reason. That, yeah, they were the reason. So yeah. you know, Alex, Alex yeah. Waller ain't scared of giving a penalty away either, is he? Mate, I, I, who am I to argue? <laughs> exactly. And extra back to the best now that they've got their big names back. Why have been horrible to Worcester saying that that would have been an easy one for them now they've got him on back? <laughs> Why are you saying that, Jim? Because you I don't, don't want to eat my bloody timber and boot, that's it. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, Sam Simmons, two tries. Uh, Johnny Hill was back. Um, obviously, Hoggy's back at 15. Luke Karansicki. Um, you know, Exeter have got quality in their squad. And we said it, you know, start of the season, they lost to Leicester away. Um, but they were back to their best. And Worcester... 40-odd points down, weren't they, at one point? But it was it was extra being class, I think. They're pick and go again. Dave Ewers makes a massive difference for them. So they've got some umph again up front, which they've missed with the big names missing. Leicester still unbeaten, but they had to work for it against Irish, didn't they? Oh, my malls. I was loving it. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> loving it. Uh, fair play to Leicester again. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's we can sit here and, and talk them up and act as if we're super fans. Just find a way to win now. And a big part of that is their driving line out and their forwards now. So, you know, obviously 4D's playing well as well for them. Makes a big difference. Well, it will make a big difference that he's not away with England. Whether or not he's out of contract, whether or not he's leaving, whether or not he wants to make a point. I'm not saying that is the only reason. Why being horrible well to George Leicester. Ford, mate? Why being horrible not, to George Ford? I'm not. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough place to go and play. And it's one of them where you can talk about complacency 
Uh, no disrespect to London Irish, but you know you, you have a couple of big wins. You beat Saracens in last play of the game a couple of weeks ago, and then you go to London Irish and you lose. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you could like you can make excuses for that, but no, they've got they've got a driving line out now, which is arguably I'd say the best driving line out in the league. Yeah, do you and know what I've heard? Some games. Do you know what I've heard? They're calling it Jim. They just call it Jim Hamilton because it's it's basically from your day. Brett Deacon's brought it back. Apparently, you know it, it's your DNA all over that team. Like shit hands, but fucking hell of a driving mall. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome, Jim. I know you're desperate. You're champing at the bit to talk about the United Rugby Championship. You were watching Edinburgh's 20 all draw against the Stormers, weren't you? I was. Yeah, the Stormers called it before the game. Um, they're Did you growing. Call, you called the draw. Didn't call the draw. Called ah. the fact that the narrative was going to be that they are getting better. The Stormers were smashing Munster last week at Thoman Park. Uh, yeah. So watching that game back and then watching Edinburgh lose to Benetton in injury time over there I knew it was going to be a good game um, and I know we always talk about hashtag always Edinburgh naturally because this is where I live now but it was a proper game first half Edinburgh went up 14 zil is there a number? zil zillion? nil nil zilch. they say zil in Scotland zilch uh, the Stormers when they get their players back my goodness me they can tackle a human being is all <laughs> I'm saying and it's easy to say oh South African team's physical my goodness me, I'm watching, <laughs> I'm watching hashtag always carrying on the halfway line, going through 10 phases, thinking kick just it. someone knock it off your head. <laughs> knock it off your head or just kick it into the stands and get it off. But it was good to see the South African teams playing well. The, the South Sea Sharks, the Seashell Sharks, uh, they've, they've got all these names, like the Emirates Lions, the DHL Stormers. Uh, it's hard not to say DHS and Chelsea's, but... Um, they beat the Ospreys. The Ospreys, my goodness me. You've got abysmal and you've got abysmal. Let's just be honest about it. My really? goodness me. That bad? Yeah, they, they were that bad. And uh, what else have I got for you? you got Leinster, Munster and Ulster are still at the other end, don't they? Hold on. We just need to hold the horses a minute. The Dragons. The fucking Dragons won a game, finally. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> they, did. they did away <laughs> at Connacht, 35-22. Let's not, let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. They did. I didn't see it, but they did. I saw the highlights. It's interesting to see the URC grow. And to be a part of that, we're obviously going to chat to Martin, the CEO, and uh, the future's bright. Well, speaking of the United Rugby Championship, we can get all the lowdown on it now from the league's CEO, Martin Eni, joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks very much for having me on. Martin, thanks for coming on. I'll probably just start because I'm, I say, heavily involved. Um, I, someone said the face. That's only me. That's what my mum my said. You're the face of the URC, which it obviously isn't the no, case. No, you are. You are. Uh, Martin, from, it's not a great face to have as your face of the league, please. <laughs> I, think it's no, more Stevie, that, I think it's more Stevie Ferris, but there we go. Yeah, you could, <laughs> you could arguably say that. But look, you know, I've been involved in the Pro 14, uh, the, the, the commentary stuff, the TV stuff for the past few years and I'm the first one to say that it needed freshening up and it needed a kind of reboot that's kind of what we've got over the last uh, few months but just a little uh, a little bit about Martin what, what it's been like in the build-up to that because you know obviously we can talk about COVID and we can talk about the difficulties that the leagues you know the league and the unions around uh, the Pro 14 what it was called before and the, the, the Pro 12 before that how difficult it's been but What's it been like trying to restructure this and get these South African teams in? And are you happy with where everything is at the minute? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I think there's always bits that you can think and go even better. And you can, but yeah, we started off, um, as you said, you know, Pro 12, Pro 14. It was always like a, um, a movement towards getting these South African teams in. We made that commitment probably in 2015, 16. 
once we were sort of on that path, uh, it was always the big four that we were sort of after, if you like. And um, we were pretty fortuitous in, in one sense that through COVID, which has caused mayhem around the world, um, and, and in rugby, definitely, the Super Rugby organisation, Sanzar, decided that they didn't want the South African teams anymore. So, so it was a, li a little bit of vision and, and a little bit of sort of pushing. Um, but in the end, you know, we were sort of willing recipients of, of these teams who, who needed to find a home. So a, a bit of luck. Um, I think what's happened also is that the world rugby is trying to get into a calendar. At the moment, it doesn't work, it doesn't work as effectively as it could do. You as an international player are pulled in too many directions. Is it do I my club? Do I play for my country? You shouldn't. You shouldn't be pulled in that direction. It should be clear. It should be um, a pretty straight line between when you get into the academy, play for your first team, play for your club, and then play for your country, and then play for your line if you're lucky enough. I can imagine it was exceptionally tough, not only because of COVID, but also um, you know trying to fit around the South African teams, and we're seeing them playing on our shores at the minute. And when I say on our shores, I mean, obviously, in Ireland, Wales, Scotland uh, and Italy. Um, we've seen South Africa have just come off the red list. How difficult has it been for you to kind of piece the fixtures together, piece all the games together, the travel alongside COVID as well? Because we've seen a brilliant start to the to the league, haven't we? I, you know, from, from someone that didn't really watch a lot of Pro 14 initially to now uh, watching the last sort of couple of weeks where, you know, the quality has definitely gone up a notch, hasn't it? So how hard was it for you to piece everything together? Because it must have taken some juggling. Yeah, I think the main thing is, we, you know, we wanted that. We wanted the quality of the product to go up. And I know product is used in a sporting term, so, you know, don't use that word. But um, we, we talked to all of our club CEOs, all our, pretty much all of our head coaches, a lot of the players. And the one thing that they said to us was, if you're going to make a change from Pro 12, Pro 14 into URC, just whatever you do, make it better. <laughs> so every time we take the pitch, we want to play in a more competitive game. Even if that means playing slightly less games overall, when we take the pitch, we want it to mean something. So we, we, we kind of took that on board and we've come off international weekends as a result of that. What will be four very strong teams in, and they're starting to really understand European rugby now, which is, you know, they're, they're quick learners. If you add back into that probably 21, 22 players from the Springbok uh, camp, they're going to be super, super competitive because they're winning away from home now, which is what, the cheaters and the kings before them couldn't do. Um, and what that should do over time is mean the likes of Leinster and Munster, who quite honestly put out a second team and won at the weekend, they're not going to be, do, be able to do that as many times or as often. Um, what that might do is then make the league more competitive with higher quality. It might also mean that some of those players that are in Leinster's team because they get 10, 12 games a year might move to some of the other provinces and make them stronger. So, you know, there's sort of a, a sort of short-term um, goal to make the league stronger, which, which we think we've done, and then a mid- and long-term to make it even more competitive. And hopefully, a league that rivals the best leagues in the world on its own merits. Yeah, absolutely. And talking and sticking on the South African uh, theme with the teams, I, I personally think it's brilliant. It's fantastic for the for the league that the four strongest teams have come in and their performances have got better and better. Obviously, the weekend, Edinburgh Stormers, I was commentating on that, and the Stormers look phenomenal in some parts of that. I think the big question will be around the return of the internationals and how that fits in. We obviously knew, or you guys obviously knew coming into this, that the way that the calendar has fallen with the Lions Tour, 
with the championship being played here, there and everywhere, obviously over in Australia, with the Autumn Nations Cup being played in the UK, that the South African teams were going to be hindered. The fact that they're in a bubble, the fact that their home games are going to be played in Europe because of COVID. Like, do you think there'll be an easier transition probably next season with trying to line up the international players being able to play for their clubs? Because there's no doubt about it, even speaking to the South African franchise coaches, they're down to their bare bones uh, and they haven't got their best players. How would you think that will unfold with the South African players coming back into the team? Because there's still a large international window for them to get through. So arguably they, they might not be here till January, February. Yeah, I'd say that's probably one area where we obviously didn't know about the COVID bubble being in half bubble. I think they might have 50-odd players in that bubble. And so you don't normally have that all in Australia. You, you're, you're going to get more players being released to the club. I think there's got to be a better alignment anyway out of the rugby championship to either start earlier, perhaps, or we even move its dates completely to align with uh, international rugby globally. Uh, the club season, though, I think is is... is you know, it's still pretty patchy in a sense because you're, you're going to have this autumn block and do you play through that block or not? We decided not to. The Prem top 14 can play through it because they're less impacted by international rugby because they've got one national team fed by 13 or 14 teams. So if, even if you're Saracens, as you know, Jim, that's going to be like five or six players, sometimes our teams and, and not teams that can afford it, like Treviso, Benetton will lose 18 players. So you just you just cannot ask Benetton to play across the international weekend and expect them to win because they don't have that depth in Italy. So it was structurally not sound for Pro 12 or Pro 14. It was not structurally sound because it just didn't allow the likes of the Italian teams to get any better. It actually penalised them for having international players. So I think that bit is going to is going to get stronger for the league. The South Africans should have a better chance of playing earlier in future seasons. Um, and we're going to get them playing against each other in situations, so you're not going to get them out of kilter with our own team. So it should work better in, in future seasons, but it's still something we're pushing for, which is, you know, we, we, we think that there could be slightly less international rugby overall, um, but to maintain its value uh, and then allow a bit more breathing room for the, for the club game. One of the things I want to ask you, obviously, um, you know, within the clubs, you've used the example there of Benetton, how it's important that they actually don't play when Italy are playing. Um, you, you then factor in clubs like Ulster, Munster, Leinster, um, you know, some of the Welsh clubs who are developing a lot of players and, you know, the younger guys get these opportunities. Obviously, the, the URC, there's no games during the autumn. What are those clubs doing with a massive squad? We know Leinster have got a huge squad of players. Are they playing some friendlies between themselves? Because ultimately, you can't really have four weeks where you just stop playing rugby, right? If you're not involved in the international thing. So was that something that's been difficult to manage for you as uh, the CEO and, and keeping every every club happy? Yeah, it was sort of the one bit where um, because Prem was going up to 13 clubs, um, they needed extra weekends. And when we first started talking about our less is more model for URC, we had actually um, briefly discussed having a sort of 18 league where we play against the English club. And so you'd play those in blocks during autumn internationals and six. And that was that because when you talk to someone like Stuart Lancaster, albeit he was for change, he was saying actually the Pro 14 was pretty good because from a performance, high performance pathway, you could take a player out of a Leinster Academy or Leinster City into the Academy through the first team, play them against Zebra, play them against Munster, 
and then they're ready for international rugby. <laughs> it sort of had all the steps in um, that you need in a high performance pathway. The problem with that is it devalued the league commercially. So what we were saying is, right, let's try and envisage a moment where we've got the best bits of that league, but we don't lose a high performance pathway. You probably need to create another competition. Um, but in COVID year, because Prem has gone up to 13 teams, we didn't get that away. But I think in the future, we'll see, you know, a pretty strong 18 league develop. Martin, talking about the Prem briefly there, and obviously Saracens have been under the spotlight around this, uh, the salary cap. We mentioned about potentially some of the higher profile players coming back to play in the URC. You know, you imagine players like Eben Etzebeth, for example, going back to the Stormers or Cheslin Colby leaving the top 14. Obviously, he's just done a deal to Toulon. What is the salary cap in the URC? Because I know that some teams don't spend as much, obviously. There's rumours that Leinster have a huge budget to spend with. Are you allowed to share them details of actually what, what the salary cap looks like in the URC? Yeah, I think that's the bit I, I would push for. Um, so one of the big changes that we did with URC has come about, but also with CBC coming in a year ago, was we as an entity are going to be, or are, are now, on the board at EPCR. And so our, our sort of main driver there is what can we do across certainly European rugby, but probably in future in Japan also and, and in the US is, is there, is there a salary cap system that can actually be applied universally? Because the moment you apply a system that we have in England, we have in France, it's not applied universally. You know, that creates potential weaknesses in the system. People go to somewhere they're going to get paid more right, if, if everyone's not being paid the same. The reason why you can't pay everybody, you know, or have one consistent um, salary cap system is we're not all selling our rights together. So the French league is worth, you know, 112 million euros a year to the canal plus. We're not getting that, right? So it, you have to have our diff different models at the moment to be able to adjust and flex to that, to those commercial realities. The reality in, in Ireland is it's quite hard to tell because the RFU will pay some of the salary, Leinster will pay some of the salary um, for different players. So it's quite hard to tell what the salary is in Ireland. But I can almost you know, categorically say they are not winning because they are spending more than everybody else. They're winning because they've got 52 players that are better <laughs> as a squad than everybody else. And they use them so effectively. But they managed to keep their best players, though. That's the big thing, is it? That's where the, the thing, yeah, the thing is with Leinster. Sorry, the thing is with Leinster and the and the Irish teams and Munster especially. But let's talk about Leinster and Munster. Is because the way that their tax system works as well is they're rewarded, obviously, if they finish in Ireland, etc., uh, etc. Et and also, some I'm only going based on a player. Some of the salaries that you hear that some of the higher profile internationals, especially when I was playing, would be matched by what they'd get if they were going to the top 14. So it didn't really make sense unless they wanted an experience to go to France to play so I mean uh, it, without yeah, opening you up is, is there a salary cap in, there's, no, the, there's no salary in the cap in, in URC uh, there's salary cap um, in, in the South African context um, which they're looking at themselves because I think now they're here they realise they've got to be more competitive those South African franchises are actually privately owned in the western province the Stormers is actually mm owned by the Western Province, the Union. The other three have independent private backers, but they're not allowed to spend above the salary cap. So in a sense, even though they're willing to, they're not 
they're not allowed to. So they, they're going to look at that. Uh, a question just around the South African teams uh, joining the URC. Is this, um, and it's a bit of a cheeky question from me, is it a bit of a precursor to potentially South Africa joining the Six Nations or are they things that have been whispered? Um, I I do not know that. I mean, I think there's probably, we're probably um, that entity that sh- can show you that it could be done. Right? And actually, for me, probably makes more sense is that even if they don't join the Six Nations or Seven Nations, it's, it's aligning the rugby championship with Six Nations. So you've got one international season that's the same. Yeah, and on that, you mentioned about the global season. We've had Sir Bill Beaumont come on here and we had Augustin Pichot when they were battling head-to-head for the, the being chairman of World Rugby. But um, you know, from an outsider, we're not seeing much of a, and we've said it on this podcast, we're not seeing much of a difference from where we were, you know, everyone talked in COVID around, this is a great time to reset and align everything. Are there big conversations going on to try and get that push forward? Because at the minute, you know, the last thing we saw was the World 12s wanting to do a, a competition in August where you're like, hold on a minute, that's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, is there, and I know that's separate to, to anything to do with World Rugby, but is there, you know, a lot of effort going in to try and get a, a global calendar? Yeah, there is. I just think, you know, as you know, rightly, that there's many different competing interests. And I think one thing that we're trying to say, we, we, we are as an entity partly owned by CBC, but majority owned by unions. But then all of our club CEOs are our stakeholders, right? So it's a slightly odd scenario where you, and then all of our clubs are slightly differently owned. Some are owned by the SRU or some are owned by private individuals. Um, so what we would, you know, a lot of work needs to go in to say, even if you play slightly less rugby overall, you change it around, it doesn't detract value from either the leagues or from the international game. And I'm not sure that point's massively landed yet. I don't think people are agreed on that. One of the most interesting plays uh, and that kind of came left field is Rock Nation's involvement. And we're seeing the momentum gather. If you follow Marutoji on Instagram, he was with Jay-Z at the Premier. And he's obviously a Rock Nation athlete, Chesin Colby, Sia Khaleesi. There's due to be another high-profile player that's going to fall under that umbrella as well. I've had a couple of chats with Michael Yormark, the CEO and president of Rock Nation Sport. Initially, when I saw it, it almost seemed like a, a very out-of-the-box collaboration. Jay-Z's Rock Nation company, big American company, the music scene, and Connor, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Swansea. <laughs> you know, um, is it, what, was a little bit of it smoke and mirrors or is there a real kind of, not urgency, but is there a real interest from a company like Rock Nation to grow the game? What do they see, do you think, in, in this URC comp? He is just full of enthusiasm, which is one thing. It's what we need. We need real positivity. It comes with genuine basis and expertise. He has been CEO of two professional franchises. He was the youngest ever CEO of a professional franchise in the States, 31. So he comes with a wealth of experience of how to develop a professional franchise in the States in two different sports. I think in rugby, he just sees the huge potential, and so do I, in there's normally three aspects to a professional game. There's the league, there's the club, and there's the players. And in rugby, for some reason, I've obviously played as well, players aren't supposed to put their head above the parapet that often, right? And it's only until you retire that you're then thrust into the media and said, go and talk about the game. So, and he believes the same thing as I do, is the players could be much more involved from day one in that, in that trio 
right? It should it should be a mutually beneficial um, exchange of value between the player, the club, the league. And for some reason at the moment, and I've got a session on Tuesday with our club CEOs, all 16 CEOs are going to come or, or zoom into a meeting with Michael to understand what we're saying about that. What we're saying is that a player is the reason why my kids follow rugby. He, he, my kids aren't a fan of Saracens, they're a fan of Maratoji. Why, so why would you not ask the player, you know, and it'd be mutually beneficial for the player, a partnership with that player to help them sell the club, sell tickets to the, to the but also to the league. And that's the thing we're trying to see. Because that's the untapped potential. Good stuff. Um, last thing on Rock Nation then, uh, and what the masses are, millions of listeners want to know. Come finals time for the URC this year, announce it here live, Jay-Z and Beyonce, they're performing, aren't they? He's got to tell us now. It's got to be. <laughs> yeah, Edinburgh no, versus Rihanna. Leinster. It's Rihanna, actually, yeah. So. <laughs> Rihanna as well. Yeah, we'll have them all. We'll have them all over for the URC final. Martin, there's a fair bit of excitement in the Southern Hemisphere about the progress around the World Club Championship. You know, getting the likes of the Crusaders and Blues up here playing against, you know, Leinster, Exeter, those kind of clubs. It, what's Edinburgh, the, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, and there, and there's some pretty big names um, saying that it's you know making quite a bit of progress. Are you involved in any of those chats? And do you know much about that? Yeah, no, we're involved there because it's it's you know we're looking at how again trying to use the weekends that we've got. And actually, Simon Halliday um, said this in the press the other day, which is which is spot on. Like we're not trying to add new weekends. What we realised is that if we could take the Champions Cup weekends in any fourth year um, and then put the top eight sides from the north versus top eight sides from the south, then you've got something that could work over a four or five weekend period. Um, NZR and, and the franchises in New Zealand are, are really up for it. And so same in Rugby Australia. Um, and do you know, and again, I don't know what you guys think, right? but I think rugby's got a slightly novel um, opportunity with this that football doesn't have, right? Because all the best teams are in Europe anyway in football. Um, and, but who knows in rugby, right? I think the Crusaders are probably up there. I think the Brumbies are probably still up there. The Reds are probably coming back into it. And then in two cycles time, have done enough to help Japan come in. You know, have we done enough that an American team could be there in eight years' time? I think one thing I'm really interested in working on is how do we as club leagues really help the MLR, really help the South American League, help the Japanese League, work with Super Rugby. And, and the thing that I think can bind us all together and create a really powerful quadrennial tournament is the World Club Cup. So what's the next step with that actually happening? Do you know when they might, it might go through? We're pushing for uh, 2024 because it's sort of that slot immediately after the World Cup and then before the Lions tour. Yeah, it's going to take some work, isn't it? A lot of people have got to give up a bit, um, you know, to, to get the global calendar aligned. And yeah. Jim, I think Jim's the biggest perpetrator over here in the Northern Hemisphere to say summer rugby. And, you know, as it's getting colder, I'm keen for a bit of that, Jim, eh? All right, Martin. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Very enlightening. Um, you've been very candid. Really appreciate it. And best of luck with the rest of the URC, mate. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, Martin. And I look thanks, forward Martin. Those, I look forward to those Rihanna tickets as well and Jay-Z tickets and everything. <laughs> I'll have my red jacket on. Don't worry. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Martin. Top bloke. Good lad. Yeah. Top bloke. Yeah. Fair play to him. Um, yeah, come on and he's... 
yeah, there are issues there, aren't there? We, we spoke about the world calendar, the global calendar and everything like that. People have got to move and you know, people are trying to. Um, and fair play for him to coming on and, and, and chatting about all things URC. Appreciate it, Mark. Well, it's good, it's, good, it's, it's good that he's fronted up because there are a number of questions. You know, the URC have, has launched, as we know. We've spoken about it. I've been involved in, in some of the games. And there are questions that need answering. So for him to come on and talk about the issues around the release of the South African players. You know, the URC, we're not going to see them until January, February, at best. Do you know what I mean? Once the autumn tests are over and, you know, they've, they have a rest and, and they get back into it. Um, but definitely, I'm telling you now, I'm telling the listeners now, not what I say is gospel or even remotely truthful or right, but this is true. The URC now is on the path to being what we all hoped it would be. And it's probably going to take a good two, three, four years for it to really grow. You look at the games at the weekend, the Ospreys-Sharks um, game, and it was awful. And there was no one in the crowd. And you flip that onto the Premiership game of, of, of Bristol and Harlequins. It was, it was a different game. But some of the games are significantly better. The buzz around Edinburgh, uh, their game against the Stormers, you know, it, that was a fantastic game. And I've seen a, I've seen other games like that as well, but it's going to have a few teething problems. So to get him on, uh, who's fronting up the URC, it's uh, it's good. All right. Well, you guys want to play a little game now? Guess the go at. Guess the go at. What's the score so far? What's the scores on the doors? Because I've got a feeling I'm smashing this humbly. I think it's four two. It's week four five. Two. No, it's week five. I've only got one right, and you've either well, there got we go. you've either got two or three. We'll call it three. Let's one call to it three. Well, right? let's call it three one to me. It's 2-1. It's 2-1. No, it's 3-1. Let's say it's 3-1. Let's just call it 4-1. And it's my go, and I feel confident, but who knows where it's going to go because <laughs> once the pressure's on, I start saying Tim Edmund's mum. I don't even know if she played tennis, but okay. Ready? Here we go. So I've got to, I've got to go out in my mind. You've got to try and get it with yes, no answers, questions. Football? No. Rugby? No. Boxing? Yes. Yes, I've got it. Muhammad Ali? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> How easy is that? It's How easy to go out. is that? Oh, mate, there you go. What more can you say? I thought you were going to say Tyson Fury. He's not the go-out yet. Once he beats Joshua, which he will do comfortably, it could be him. He ain't even going to but, box Joshua. He ain't going to need to. Next well, up, he isn't, he, no. Next up, he's fighting... Usyk? Dillian White. No, Dillian Usyk. White. Yeah, next up, he's fighting Dillian White as the mandatory. And then he's going to bang out Usyk after Usyk bangs out uh, Anthony Joshua again. So I, don't, I can't even see... Joshua will be begging Fury for a fight at some point. Well, Fury, he will, but the get, Fury but, is da man. Fury's just going to go mate. away for a year of drinking, binging, partying, and he can fight whoever he wants maybe next year and get a payday. He's not in any hurry. Tell me now, no, did, you, did you see the video of Fury in a Vegas nightclub with his top off, just loving life <laughs> yeah. after that fight? <laughs> with Stephen Aoki. My yeah. goodness me. I Amazing. mean, that is now dad bod or sick bod, whatever you want to call it. If he's fronting it, who cares, Andrew? I would say it's questionable, but you might have a better body than him. In well, terms of visually looking at. All I'm saying is tell Dubai beaches that next week because the top will be off by the beach in Dubai, on the <sighs> beach in Dubai. Actually, I'm, I might just keep my top on. Uh, but, mate, Tyson Fury, top off in a Vegas nightclub, gives all us people with uh, sloppy rigs hope. Hey, James. It does, but this guess the guy game is too easy now. Andy Rose <laughs> flustered. He's, look, he's literally just looked at the greatest of all time in sport. Mate, you're talking to one of the smartest guys. Question of sport, but he guessed the go at. It's the same thing, mate. I'm going to smash it now. Well, shall we finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yes, let's, Andy Rowe and James. Um, loads of good as ever in the world of rugby. Uh, we're going to start off 
we've had a bit of a URC theme this weekend, so we're going to start off there. A monster absolutely dominated the Scarlets down into Leslie, uh, spanking them 43 points to 13. I'll give a shout out for one of the tries. Jack O'Donoghue, the back row, what a beast he is. He makes out of a break and then puts a lovely kick through. A number six putting a kick through for Liam Coombs' try. So, uh, hell of an effort from Munster. They're looking pretty special at the minute. Um, where else should we go in the world of rugby? Let's go to Uruguay. Uh, they became the first team from the Americas to qualify for the 2023 World Cup in France by beating the USA 34 points to 15 in Montevideo. Uh, their reward for getting to the World Cup is facing the All Blacks and France for the first time ever. So, um, yeah, I mean... Just enjoy it, Uruguay, while it lasts, because that's going to be some tough uh, inclusion into the World Cup. But a uh, hell of an effort from those boys. Let's go back to the URC, shall we? Because Adam Byrne scored two tries on his return for Leinster after 22 months out injured. So big tip of the slipper to him. Staying in the URC, the Dragons. They beat Connacht 35 points to 22 away from home for their first win of the season. It's their first win ever, basically. So uh, well done to those boys. And it's their first win at the sports ground since 2004. So um, top effort by the Dragons boys. Uh, the Bulls, they're going to get a mention this week. They came back from 16-3 down at halftime to beat Cardiff 29-19 and get their first win in the URC. So we'll tip the slipper to those boys. But it's all about the Premiership from here on in. Leicester, they get a mention in the good. Still unbeaten this season. Still in the good. Their best start to a Premiership rugby season for 21 years. Two decades. They've not won four games on the spin. And when do you go back to, Andy Rowe? 21 years ago? Uh, let me guess when you were playing. Yes, as you know, mate. As you know. Uh, we started the season in, in 2000. Uh, four victories on the spin. So, a hell of an effort from the Leicester boys. Well done to them. Uh, what else was good? Sam Simmons back in an extra jersey after the Lions tour. He had his first baby last week. And then he returned for Exeter and scored two tries. Of course he did. He's going to be top try scorer again this year. So, tip of the slipper to Sam Simmons and especially their returning Lions boys. Eddie Jones, just pick him. Pick him and Don Brandt. Pick them both in the same team. Um, he was pretty special. But the good this week goes to Jim's favourite team. There's a few mentions within this as well. Harlequins were just absolutely phenomenal. They came back from 21-0 down to beat Bristol Bears 52-24. Oh, my Bristols. Oh, my defence. Oh, my fitness. But let's make this all about Quins. We'll start off with Will Collier. 134 Premiership games without scoring a try. And then you dummy three or four players and sprint or waddle your way in from 25 metres out. Uh, hell of an effort from him. Uh, Marcus Smith was absolutely ridiculous. Ball in hand. Lewis Liner. They all played astonishingly well. Esther Hazen was quality. Don Bramp, ridiculous. So the good this week goes to the mighty Harlequins. Uh, the bad. few bits of bad. Uh, we're going to start off in Munster as well, actually. Well, it wasn't in Munster, but we're going to start off in Munster. R.G. Snyman uh, re-ruptured his ACL for Munster after coming off the bench. Not good news for him to re-rupt your ACL. A lot of rehab, a lot of pain to get through. So we wish him all the best. Um, we're going over to France now. Biritz, they're going to get a mention in the bad. We've put them in the good a couple of times. Uh, they're in the bad this week. They lost 40 points to five at home to Lyon. Uh, and unfortunately, they're bottom of the top 14 now. Uh, so not great for them. Scarlets, they get a mention in the bad. They lost 43-13, as we said earlier, to Munster. Um, not great at all. Uh, so they get a mention the bad. Saints, ill-discipline, really poor in the second half. Uh, so they're going to get absolutely hammered this week by Chris Boyd. Uh, London Irish, they're going to get a mention in the bad this week. Uh, they've now not won a game in the first four rounds. They drew with Sale, of course they did, but 
They haven't won a game in the first four rounds, so they get a mention in the bad this week. Um, but the bad can only go to one nation, one team, one nation. And that goes to Canada, unfortunately, all you Canadian listeners this week. They've qualified for every single Rugby World Cup so far, but won't be there in 2023 after they were eliminated by Chile at the weekend. It was a shock loss uh, on Saturday, and they've now failed to qualify for the World Cup for the first time ever. So Canada, you get the bad. And then the ugly. Um, We mentioned Chile in the bad because they beat Canada. Now, I thought about putting Chile in the good. They haven't qualified for the World Cup yet, so I didn't. And the main reason I didn't put them in the good was for this one reason. Um, We mentioned in the bad about Canada losing to Chile, but the ugly this week has got to go to the picture that we've seen go around social media. Uh, Canadian scrum half Jamie McKenzie tweeted the photo of one of the Chile players literally trying to gouge the eyes out of a Canada player on the floor. He's having a proper dig around the eyeballs. As Jim says, one of the worst things you can do to a man. Uh, so hopefully World Rugby will take a look at that and a applicable ban will come because it should be. Being the chief sighting officer and judicial officer that I am on this rugby pod, that should be at least a 26-week ban for gouging. It would looked awful. Uh, so Chile, you may have beaten Canada, but you get the ugly this week for the gouge. Thanks, Goody. And you've got a shout-out to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I've got a big shout-out. And it goes to a bunch of serving police officers uh, who are coming together from across the UK and are driving to Gambia from Barcelona to deliver some ambulances and medical supplies to the country due to their situation being so bad. Uh, They're looking to raise two and a half grand um, and hopefully uh, we can all support them in what is a fabulous cause. Imagine driving from Barcelona to Gambia to deliver some uh, ambulances to a very, very deprived country. So a massive shout out to to those guys. Um, Their Just Giving page is justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash adam-williams71. So uh, if you could have a look at that and raise as much money as you can, they're looking for about two and a half grand to be able to raise money to drive some ambulances from Barcelona to Gambia. Hell of a trip. I doubt there's air conditioning. So any help we can give them along the way would be great. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Spotify and go to Eventbrite. Get your tickets for our live show in Cardiff in November. (laughs) 